Want to become an AI trailblazer in the product world? Pragmatic Institute's newest workshop, AI for Product Professionals, is your ticket to generative AI mastery. In this hands-on training, learn to master ChatGPT and prompt engineering to transform your product strategies, rapidly create content, optimize workflows, and make razor-sharp product decisions fueled by data. Don't just keep up with the AI revolution. Lead it. Seats are limited. Enroll today at pragmaticinstitute.com slash AI workshop. Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris for Pragmatic Institute and your host for this episode. Today, we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which I know is not an unusual thing for me to say, but I am at my core, a marketing person. I love product marketing, product management, but like at the core, it bleeds marketing. And I think there are some really interesting aspects about leading marketing teams and sort of marketing strategy within organizations that many of us work with that are more technical or development led. And that that's a challenge at all levels. So that's what I want to explore today. And I have, I think, the perfect person to explore this with. I'm super excited to have on Mark Donegan. He builds technology companies as a virtual CMO and business consultant, helping technical and product oriented founders build and scale their marketing and GTM motion, like creating sometimes small but mighty teams that have generated 500 million in revenue and enterprise value for the company he's worked with. And I think he's helped a lot of organizations in this transition, really starting to embrace and see the value in marketing. So be prepared to have your marketing beliefs challenged. Be prepared for some really great new ideas and welcome to the show, Mark. Oh, you're too kind, Rebecca. Thank you for that uh, intro there. I was looking around. Let's see. Who, who's the guest? <laughs> who, who else is, <laughs> who is here? This? Right. <laughs> who, who is this Mark person? No, <laughs> no it's amazing. great to be here. It's it's a wonderful conversation and I'm as passionate as you are about marketing. So let's jump in. Yes. All right, let's do it. So I always like to start, Mark, with everyone's sort of origin story. You are the marketing superhero. How did you get your start? What what makes you so passionate about it? Yeah, well, let's see. Rewind, rewind, rewind to 12 years old. Uh, Let's see, I guess I I was seventh grade and I discovered my school's Apple II computer. Mm, And uh, actually, it, it was very interesting. It was through a book that an uncle of mine gave me about programming computers. And there was a little section on this language called BASIC. And, you know, my dad actually worked for Hewlett Packard, although he was, you know, building the silicon and the chips and that side of the business. So so it wasn't that computers were, you know, sort of unknown or, you know, to me, but my mind was just blown. You know, I could write text, i.e., you know, programming computer language and a computer could do what I wanted. So I just really burrowed into that and threw myself into learning basic, which, you know, was a very basic language, but great for, I guess, a 12 year old. <laughs> it was well named, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so long story short, you know, foregone conclusion that I'd go into computer science program when it, t- it came time to go off to university, which I did do. But one problem when you spend most of your time playing music, dreaming about, 
you know, being a rock star and not studying, <laughs> it, it's sort of a conflict with being in a computer science program. <laughs> fair, so, fair. Yes. So long story short, after, you know, a couple of years in after my sophomore year, I went, hmm, maybe I better figure out what I really want to do. And so I went to music school of all things. Now I'm connecting a thread, you know, to sales and marketing, specifically marketing. Went to music school and realized, wow, being a rock star, the odds of that happening is, is pretty... <laughs> pretty slim. So, you know, and along the way I was working myself through putting myself through college and, and even in high school, I was selling Apple computers They had a Apple retailer. Now this is way before Apple stores. So, you know, literally a third party reseller, but yeah, you know, I decided to become a student of sales and just threw myself into Zig Ziglar you know, it just consumed all of his books. I, I wanted to make money and, but specifically at that time, you know, going to school, I'm like, I, if I do this right, I can work 10, 12 hours a week, but make a full-time salary. Like, mm. Ooh, wow. You know, we all think salespeople do by the way, too. like everyone thinks that sales, like, you know, Everybody. they pop in for like an hour and they make all the money. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, the reality, of course, I mean, some months I actually did do that and other months you don't, but it, you know, that threw me into really saying how, you know, I, I became a student of business is I think how mm. I would characterize it, even though mm. my formal education, education was, you know, initially started computer science, then music. So, you know, and I never did actually go get like an MBA. So it wasn't a formal, but I just became a real student, started consuming it. And as your career, you know, begins to grow and I eventually was leading sales teams and then bigger sales teams and driving more revenue. And along the way, I was always, initially I was in smaller organizations where marketing was sort of like, a, hey, we need to do a, fill in the blank, you know, an ad for this magazine or, mm -hmm. you know, something over here. And so I was generally the one that, you know, would kind of quote, make that happen. But I never considered myself a marketer, never. But very quickly, I realized, wow, you know, this is like, if done right, this is jet mm -hmm. fuel to the sales process. And so I, it, you just start to kind of, I would say out of necessity, really, because remember, I'm driving revenue. Revenue, I'm responsible for a number. So at the end of the day, what I cared about was not a cooler marketing campaign. I cared right, about making right. my number. <laughs> and so you think about, well, what are the tools to do that? And I, I mean, literally that's how I backed in a way. I feel like I backed into marketing now again, as certain opportunities unfolded and I found myself working with startups and especially during some of the really explosive years, both the internet 1.0, um, you know, through that bubble and then kind of the, the 2.0, if you want to think about it that way. And then all the way up to now, I just, I found that an excellent place for me to combine the strategic with the go-to-market with revenue, with creativity is in this place of marketing. And so I think one of the things that we will talk about today is how marketing is so much more than sort of arts and crafts or the creative mm. side of it. It's also more than just data. 
So in mm-hmm. some circles, marketing is kind of viewed as with digital platforms, it's all just about yeah. data. Everything's a number. Yep. Everything is a, what's our open rate? You know, what's our click through? What's our cost per lead? <laughs> you know, and it's so much more because it's really business strategy. And today, uh, especially for technical led companies, it's really not possible to have a, have a marketing discussion and have that be discreet from the go-to-market discussion and from mm-hmm. even product strategy. It's just not possible. Now you can do it. I'm not saying, and a lot of people do, they separate it. Like, well, the product team's doing product marketing. Hey, you figure out your, your, you know, how you're going to launch the product, go to market, you know, the sales leader, you figure out how you're going to sell it. And everybody's kind of doing their own thing. It just doesn't work today because the buying journey, especially in B2B is so diverse and so complex and so dynamic. So, and so it's so much bigger or longer, or uh, it covers so many steps than it used to, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about you sold computers, people went to a store like that. That's, that's, that's right. the only place you bought them. Yeah, that's it's right. happened guys. I promise. <laughs> uh, right? And you that's go. Right. And so you had a, a, a very specific sort of framing of when it happened. Mm-hmm. They had very limited places to get information. Yeah. It was a very, yeah. very different yeah. than the way, yeah. the way people buy shop trial mm-hmm. tests today. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say, you described perfectly why I love marketing mm-hmm. and how I think of marketing, right? Mm-hmm. It is, strategy plus go to market plus revenue plus creative. That's right. And that to me is why I love it. That's right. I, I had I'm the opposite you. background, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I came from an advertising background mm. and I, I worked in there and I loved it. I loved the creativity. I loved, you know, it was a hard because you'd win accounts because your pitch was really creative, yeah. but then they never wanted to run those creative ads. Yeah, that's wanted, right. <laughs> run like the, the boring ones, but, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I soon realized that I missed, I needed the strategy part. Mm. I needed to understand the business and the goals. And, and I enjoy both sides of that. That's and I right. think marketing gives you that balance of both really good marketers. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it is, it is not discreet or separate. That's it is right. integral to a lot of these things. That's There's right. no way to, to disconnect them. Now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. You know, uh, marketing's awesome. Yeah, Thank you for listening. Right. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you talked about too, that you had started at a lot of small organizations, mm-hmm. smaller organizations. Yeah. And I know that, that that's an area of focus for you today, is. right? Is working yeah. with sort of startups and sort of growth stage organizations, that's a right. lot of founders. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what your engagements look like yeah. today and how you help those organizations sort of start to embrace the idea of marketing. Yeah, because right. you and I have talked about it briefly before, a lot of technology founders product-led founders, mm-hmm. they don't embrace sales and marketing. Yeah, they right. resist it yeah. for quite some time. So let's talk both about how you get them to start to embrace. And then what does that kind of those first steps really look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So it's true, Rebecca, I specifically, and I guess it's because I, I do lean technical and I'm frankly, Mm -hmm. I'm just more interested in technology Mm -hmm. and technical products. So, you know, so some of it's just a personal interest, but uh, it's also my background. I've worked really exclusively uh, in companies where technology was, you know, was really the core of the product or even what the whole commercial offer was in some cases, literally licensing technology, sometimes as software, sometimes as, you know, algorithms, et cetera. So I am very empathetic to technical founders and product led founders Mm. who 
don't, uh, and I use air quotes, but it, sometimes you'll hear in marketing circles, oh, that company, that person, you know, that CEO, that founder doesn't get marketing. And it's usually said in a very negative, very, you know, like they don't get it. I, I can't lie. There was a time where maybe I had a similar feeling, you know, like how come, you, you know, they don't right, yeah, get yeah. it. I have become very empathetic to why that is. And so, so let's look at why that is. And then we can talk about how to change that. So if anybody's listening and, you know, you're thinking, hmm, yeah, maybe that's me because, you, you know, like I still don't really get, you know, how marketing can help us or what marketing really does. So the reason it is, is if you think about it, just by very definition, a engineering led, a, a product led founder oftentimes comes from a very large organization, sometimes an absolute world class organization hmm. coming out of Facebook, Google, you know, Apple. I mean, just go down the list. Right. And those organizations are so large. The brands have such massive halos that if you're an engineering leader, by definition, everything you build just gets adoption. <laughs> Right. You know, uh, now I'm not suggesting, <laughs> you, you know, I'm not suggesting that inside those organizations that every product is a hit and, you know, they have their metrics, right. And, you know, Google is, is famous for having a lot of products in beta, which I don't think they really do anymore, but for many, many, many years, you, you know, the products we used had a beta label on it, you yep. know? And so, you know, these, I'm not suggesting that, that they don't have metrics. And even if they get a couple million users that so they might say, gee, that doesn't, meet our mark and we kill it. But the point is, is that you largely could build something and it's true. The users would just come because you're, you know, you're Apple, you're fill in the blank, right? So all of a sudden it's a little bit of a hoodwink almost where, you know, that engineering founder has a great idea, grabs a few other coworkers and says, if we go build this, we're, you know, we're going to be the next fill in the blank, yeah. you know, whatever that is. So it's very natural. So I become incredibly empathetic to why the belief is there. You know, also you don't know what you don't know. So if you have never been exposed to how the product you know, in your former life actually went to market, then it's sort of like a black box, like, well, I mean, mm. there's clearly a process, but you just hire someone to run the process and voila, you, you, you know, we get subscribers or whatever, you know, however the business model works. So this is how technical founders get themselves into, into the situation. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. really lack of, of knowledge is what it is. Now, there's, there's responsibility on the marketer's side because unfortunately, there are, especially in B2B, and I work really exclusively in B2B. I, I don't know the consumers in, from a marketing yep. perspective. Don't know it. Don't care to know it. I love working in business context. So everything we're talking about is B2B here. But, you know, what happens is, is there's a lot of what I like to call MBA marketing in B2B companies. And what I mean by that is that it's a playbook that pretty much every MBA program, whether it's, you know, in an Ivy League, you know, Harvard Business School, Stanford, et cetera, or, you know, a lesser known school, the playbooks are all the same. So people come in, they start executing this playbook and the market has shifted so dramatically, meaning that the way that buyers buy today has shifted so dramatically from the playbook that you, there is a lot of B2B marketing that is executed textbook correct mm. or textbook mm. right mm. and is completely falling flat. 
So here you've got a founder who experienced in their former life before they started the company, building stuff that just gained massive adoption, being able to work on some of the hottest you know, new products and exciting brands and, and all of this, not exposed at all to how that prod, their product actually made it to market. They spin out, start a company and their basis mm. is, well, when we build something good, it just gets adopted because it's so yeah. good. Then they say, okay, well, my board tells me I need to hire a marketing person. So I'm going to go, oh, wow. I found someone from, you know, fill in the blank, some other big company. Right. And again, that marketer joins that marketer was in a massive organization, might have been a very strategic person, might it might have been in a mid-level, even a a more senior role, but is completely ill-equipped to deal with a startup where there is zero brand. No one cares about you. And oh, by the way, no one actually cares that your product is better. And that's when it gets super sobering is, and usually when I engage with founders is where they get the, it dawns on them, you know, (laughs) better is actually not how you win. Hmm. You know, um, now I am not saying that your product, you know, can be lousy and you're going to win. I mean, on some level, the product has to perform it, you know, it has to, but what I'm saying is, is that the, you know, the original idea, the original concept that so many companies are founded on is, well, we're going to be better. We're going to be faster. We're going to be cheaper. Shoot. Maybe we'll be all three of those things and we're going (laughs) to just crush the market. And then they go out, they execute on that technically and totally fail. And it's my observation that largely the startup failure statistic now has flipped, you know, in the, in, in the internet 1.0 era. So I'm talking like the late nineties, early 2000, let's say up to about 2005 in my observation. And I was super active starting around 99 98, 99, uh, and then on during that period, there was an element of, if you could actually get your solution to work, your odds of succeeding were somewhat high because it was hard. You had to go buy servers. You had to wreck them. You had to build, you, you had to truly build now with the cloud and with, you know, just all of the, and, and, you know, forget generative AI and the co-pilots and all. I mean, now it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, literally you can build a product, bring it to market and not have engineers. Now I'm not talking about the most advanced, but anyway, during that first era that I outlined the product, a lot of times the company failures were because the product just didn't work. They couldn't get it to really work. And they had customers lined up, but they couldn't get it to work somewhere around late, you know, 2000, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine by 2010, 11, 12, somewhere in there. So about 10 years ago, the situation flipped where all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a second, I can go pay per use on AWS. AWS has amazing tools that I can leverage. There's talent out there and there's talent even worldwide. So Hmm. you could, you know, even going back 10, 12, 15 years ago, you could start tapping into lower cost engineering resources. So all of a sudden the cost to build your startup, build your product ratcheted down, oh, 50, 60, 70, maybe 80%. And this is 10 years ago that this situation was. So then the risk was not on building the product. It started to flip to market. 
Mm. The problem is, is that now the founders, that's also why, if you think about it, there was a bit of an explosion of very interesting SaaS companies, products, really legitimately interesting solutions. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, this is when the MarTech space started taking off. Mm. FinTech, you start, you know, yeah. you start thinking about, you know, these sectors that are now huge and massive. They start exploding because all of a sudden, and I'm not suggesting that it was, quote, easy to build product, but it was faster, way less expensive. And yes, it was easier, you know, to build product. But along the way, the founders didn't engineer the market. Hmm. So your startup failures, failure rate largely remained unchanged, but the risk moved from product to market somewhere around, you know, I don't know, in my estimation, 2010, 2011 is, is where it moved from being, do we think that they can get this product built to, do we hmm. think the, they can actually build a market? That's the, that's the switch. And so my work with founders really is, um, I don't generally engage. If someone's not convinced, it's not my job to convince them, you right, know? Yeah. So I'm usually getting contacted at, at a couple different points. One point is the founders have sort of, you know, woken up and said, oh, wow. It turns out that just because I built it, <laughs> <laughs> the market is not going to come running, you know, and so of dreams is alive. <laughs> I need to figure this out, you know, so that's, and, and that's a really good state to begin because it's kind of like, mm -hmm. Hey, yep. we haven't hired any, we haven't invested, you know, help us, you know, help us do that, you know, help us both, you know, develop the plan, the strategy, and then go execute. The other side of it is where they realized it. They ran out and were so excited because they hired some senior level marketing person from fill in the blank, you know, big tech company. And they said, wow, you know, they were super expensive, but it's going to be amazing. They're going to bring the, the HubSpot playbook to our, our yeah. you know, to our SaaS company. Well, the problem is, yeah, they bring the HubSpot playbook, but they don't bring the HubSpot playbook from 2008, yeah. 2007, 2006, when HubSpot was scrappy and nobody knew who HubSpot, they bring the playbook of 2023, you know, 2024, right. when HubSpot has this huge halo, huge brand, huge, you know, and it, no wonder it doesn't work. Yep. <laughs> so the founders contact me, usually sort of scratching their heads saying, you know, we really like this person. We, we know they're fundamentally good. I mean, look how awesome our website is, but the fact of the matter is like our revenues unchanged, like the business impact is very minimal. What are we missing? You know? Mm. And, and then that's, you know, that's where I engage. That sounds like a, a very fun place to be. But I also <laughs> think it reminds me of the challenges that I've seen myself in my career, but also within a, a lot of the clients we work with mm. of large, large, large enterprise yeah. organizations that are building sort of a horizon two product, mm -hmm. right? Something that is uh, maybe a different technology and or a different market than their sort of flagship one that's funding everything. And those products fail a lot. And a lot of it is the same kind of idea is that you have a marketing playbook for something you have established and know very well where there is known market and known brand and known, you know, all kinds of things. And then you want to launch a different vertical, a different piece, and you're trying to apply that same playbook and it, and it doesn't work, right? And it feels like it should. And you're also, your expectations are these numbers and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So I think that same sort of challenge and problem can can certainly work at a shows up at different size organizations. It does. It does. And um, yeah. And so you're exactly right. I mean, uh, it's it's not. Uh, this whole issue of, yeah, but we're, uh, you know, if we build it, they're going to come can also happen in a massive organization because mm-hmm. like you say, the core product, you know, is just, you know, dominates the market and you might be the category, the category king <laughs> or queen of that space, you know? And so the feeling internally is, well, whatever we build, we put out there, everybody wants to hear from us. No, it turns out that, you know, they're very happy to use your core product. But, you know, just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to feel obligated (laughs) or like, well, this is the de facto choice, you know. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So you've you've come in. They've realized. And I think there is a couple of things that you, you said that were just really interesting. Right. That being better is not enough. Yeah, no, it's not. So one of the, you know, I talk about the um, uh, MBA uh, marketing playbook, you know, and how mm-hmm. um, it, it it is just a, it's too many marketers, frankly, are just, are, are stuck there. Uh, and again, yeah. we do what we know, right? And so if we, if we don't become students of our ecosystem, students of like how our customer buys, then guess what? You know, we're going to be executing just rote marketing motions, feeling good about ourselves. You know, yeah, here's our, here's our um, editorial calendar. Look how awesome it is. We have everything, you know, defined through June, you know, the first half of the year, here's our email newsletter. Look how awesome all this is. And you're like, yeah, hey, you know, that's that's a little bit like I got up in the morning and I showered, you know, like that's kind of that's kind of like that's kind of like, you know, blah, that's the most basic stuff. Right. And yet the problem is, is that too many uh, you know marketers, but then even the founders are not into how does the customer buy how and, and then if you understand how they buy, you can back into how are they what are the inputs needed to the decision? So, and then um, where is the customer going to get those inputs, get that information? And if you start to think about it that way, it's, it's almost like first principles. I've started, uh, I recently published a, a few articles and, and wrote a little mini book that I put up on, on my website about first principles in marketing. And if you really think about it, we're talking about problem solving and it's, yes, there's some frameworks. So when I go start working with a company, of course I bring some sort of a framework, but it is not a playbook that I literally open up and say, okay, all I need to do is change the company name and everything else the same. And here you go. Magic. There's a first principles to it where we begin to execute and we measure we execute and we evaluate, we execute. And when I say execute, I mean, marketing tactics, you know, so you mm-hmm, execute mm-hmm. a marketing tactic and then you talk to the market and you really understand, okay, is this, is this hitting? You listen on sales calls, you listen to what the buyers are saying. And, and I don't mean listen with happy ears, you know, mm, I don't mean yeah, listen yeah. with bias of like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they love us. Here's what they said. You're like, Yeah. You know, we were, it was a 35 minute call and yes, they did say that, but you miss this whole other thing where they talked about, you know, that the fact is the reason why they're engaged with us is because they're a part of a community for CIOs. And in that community, there was a a couple threads about our company 
well, uh, well, that's good, right? Well, of course that's good, but shouldn't we be understanding about what other communities CIOs mm-hmm. are a part of? And shouldn't we be trying to figure out not in a sa- not in a salesy way because you go into those and you start trying to sell, yeah, yeah. you know, and oh, it's going to crash and burn. And marketers don't even know where the buyers are hanging out. And nowadays, so much is happening peer to peer. It's not happening vendor to customer like it used to. That's the 15, Mm -hmm. 20 year old playbook is the vendor owns the information, owns the information flow. And therefore, that's why you had to go to a trade show if you were a buyer, because guess what? That's where the vendor would allow you to have access to the information. Sounds so crazy. Now, isn't that crazy? But now I remember it, but it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, (laughs) but that's how it worked. You know, you used to I I can remember being a part of processes on both sides, you know, of of the table where, you know, where when I was a buyer or a part of a buying committee and it's like, we need to figure out how we can get the attention of fill in the blank vendor because, you know, because we want to really seriously evaluate their product and you're chasing them as the buyer. And I can mm-hmm. also remember being on the other side, being chased, you know, where it's like, oh, yep. you know, we really want to talk to you. Oh, let's tell it, you know, almost like they're selling you, you know, the, the potential buyer right. selling you on why you should, you know, you should escalate their meeting. And, and that has fundamentally been absolutely flipped on its head. And let me tell you, for the most part, buyers are not chasing vendors now. No, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and if vendors are acting like that, they are, um, they're, they're out of touch with the buying cycle. That's all I can yeah. say. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, when we then talk about, okay, so what does an early stage company do? Well, it turns out that th- there's some really good news in all of this, because what it also means is that The information that we put out there is more centered and must be centered around the buyer's journey. And that is the information that the buyer needs to make a decision. So I really like the jobs to be done framework which mm-hmm. is, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty well, well known. Clayton yep. Christensen, of course, pioneered it and did, did a lot of great work in this area. But if you think about the job to be done or the jobs to be done for a B2B buyer, like it's, there's, there's really only, I don't know, five or six or seven, you know, depending how granular you want to get blocks that they have to clear. So, you know, so shall we go through it real quick? Because this yeah, is this is like kind of the marketing framework right here in terms yeah. of, okay, Mark, how do you actually execute what you're talking about? So if we think about it from jobs to be done, what does a B2B buyer have to do? Well, the first thing is they have to identify their problem. And believe it or not, as much as we say, oh, well, they know their problem. That's why they're out looking for a solution in this particular area or they're, you know, well, Yes and no. I mean, sometimes there's work that they really need to do to define, like, what's the problem we're really trying to solve? Right. Sometimes they have symptoms they recognize. They have symptoms. But but they have to kind of get further into what is the cause? What is the problem really behind it? Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so this though is a tremendous opportunity for a, a, a fresh, young, unknown startup company with real innovation, because now you can begin to put marketing content or just content, forget, take the word marketing off because we're not talking about selling anything. We're talking about, we're saying, Hey, there's this issue that is now arising. Here's what's causing it. You know, here's some potential solutions. And at the very, very end, Oh, by the way, you know, one approach that we have taken and 
you know, these types of companies have found success with is, and you fill in the blank and there's, and there's some description of your technology, your product, et cetera, but it's helping the buyer get through identifying the problem after they feel like, okay. So the buyer says, okay, I, I now can define what our problem is. We, we feel we have our arms around it. Gee, I wonder what solutions are out there. Okay. So now they're looking for solutions. Then they have to go through a requirements building process. So, so they say, wow, there's actually, it turns out there's, you know, there's, there's half a dozen, a dozen, two dozen companies that it looks like it appears could meet our need, could solve our problem. What are our requirements? So then they have to go build requirements, right? So there's opportunity to put content out into the market around requirements, Like, Mm -hmm. you know, in some cases it might be educating buyers like, hey, people think this metric is super important. Here's why it's not. But here's why this other thing is, Mm. you know, and the buyer says, wow, that was super helpful. I didn't know that. And they go off and they do some some of their own checking and they come back, say, turns out that's absolutely true. Wow. Thank you. You know, whatever company provided that information to them, that was helpful. Then they go through a supplier selection um, uh, process where now they say, okay, of those, you know, 15, 20 options that we've identified, you know, we can't meet with all of them. So what are the two or three that we will? Now I want to stop here because this is super important. Gartner has been saying for, oh, since like 2018, 2019, their surveys have been showing this. Forrester, pretty much all all of the analyst firms that look at like B2B buying and B2B Mm -hmm, marketing, mm -hmm. B2B sales have been saying this, that buyers are now more than 50% of the way through a buying process before they contact the first vendor. Mm. Now let that sink in of what that means from a marketing perspective. If you as a company are still writing the seven reasons why the cloud is going to revolutionize and eight reasons, you know, that you should have done and all this. And I'm, and I'm intentionally playing it up because we all know this fluffy content that gets put out yep. there. That's just absolutely more and more. Oh, too, it's just AI generated. It's all content. AI fluff. If marketers are doing that, it is falling flat, flat, flatter than flat, because how does seven reasons why help someone go through problem identification, solution exploration, requirements building and supplier selection. Instead, buyers are turning to their peers. Buyers are turning to their colleagues. Buyers are, so they're not talking to vendors, but they are very happy and they're seeking out, you know, gee, I wonder what this company over here is doing. You know, they're in a similar space as us. Hey, does anybody know anybody there? Oh yeah. Hey, I used to work with so-and-so. He now heads up engineering. Hey, you know, let me set up a call. And so they're getting on the phone, you know, hey, um, hey, uh, Rebecca, you know, we understand that you guys are doing this and that. And, you know, we're thinking of a similar thing. What, like, would you mind sharing? Like, and you're like, wow, funny. You should ask six months ago, we just migrated. And, oh, we looked at these three and all these guys were a disaster. But you know what? We chose this company, but you know what? We almost chose this other company. They were good too. Who's going to get the call? And the point, the point that I hope I'm driving home in this is that this wasn't branding. 
this wasn't just a logo. It's not because, you know, we spent $75,000 on sponsorships at the biggest industry trade show and people went, oh, wow, I keep seeing the logo. I have to go talk to. Yeah, maybe very, very, very small. Maybe at some point somebody thinks, you know, wow, that's interesting. You know, at the last trade show, we saw those guys logo everywhere. We didn't talk to them. And so it makes people kind of feel safe. Like, Hmm, the company must, must be legit. You know, they're, you know, so I'm not suggesting that like branding is gone and, and all that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if the primary strategy is we're going to go to a trade show or we're going to, you know, go into some public forum and we're going to slap our logo everywhere and everybody's going to go to our website and they're going to that it's wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> That's not how decisions are being made. So let's go back to the B2B buying jobs. So problem identification, solution exploration, requirements building, supplier selection, all of that today is largely done without talking to one single Vendor, which means that if you're not putting content out that helps, that can help the buyer through one or all of those steps, the odds of you getting a call is very, very, very slim because they don't know about you. Mm-hmm. Then you go into, then at that point is when they start to reach out, you know, and they say, okay, we now supplier selection, we've got a short list, you know, let's go set, set up some meetings. Then you go into a validation process. Okay. And so that normally looks like a, like a POC or some proof of value type process. Maybe it's real formal, maybe it's informal, but there's always going to be some process where, mm-hmm. you know, where the buyer says, okay, we need to make sure this thing actually can meet our needs and does what they say it can do. And then you go into, so after you go through that process and they say, wow, yeah, it does everything and we can integrate it. And you know, this ticks all the boxes. Then you go into what I like to call consensus creation. Because the buyer's journey now, there can be 8, 10, 12, 15, even more constituents on the inside of the buyer's organization who there's only one or two people who probably actually hold the budget, i.e. can say yes or no, can say yes, sorry, to the spend. But everyone else on the buyer's committee can say no. And another thing that is really flipped in B2B sales and not all sales organizations have adapted, have woken up to this, is that there's still a fixation on we've got to get to the economic buyer. Economic buyer. Economic buyer is everything. Now, yes, they are everything because if you don't convince, they're the one person who can say yes. However, it's often done at the exclusion of the six, eight, 10, 12, 15 people who can say Hmm. no. And in a technical sale, almost always, in fact, in my personal experience, painful experience where I thought deals were done, seven figure deals were locked in until they weren't in literally 100% of the cases, it was an SME who overrode a much, much, much more senior person. I can think of one sales process where the CTO, and I don't mean a like division CTO, I mean the CTO for a Fortune 50 made a buying decision, was we were well down the path. I mean, you know, we were backflips and everything else, being a newer startup, seven figure deal, massive deal for us. 
got overridden by a subject matter expert, individual contributor. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. He's probably six or eight levels below the CT. It's a fortune. It's a massive, massive, massive company, wireless company. And at the time we hate, I mean, you know, of course we're just beside ourselves, you know, live, you know, how is this even possible? It's the CTO of, you know, like, how is this even possible? In retrospect, looking back, I now have full clarity of number one, how it was possible. Number two, why it happened. And number three, it makes sense. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The CTO, very responsible position, but how in the world can that person, no matter how intelligent and they can't possibly know about all of the nuance of the technical decisions. And they have these SMEs for a reason, right? So you're going to either listen to them or you're not. So how would that work to have someone who truly is a subject matter expert? And in this case, I'm thinking of the person truly was an expert. So it's not like it was sort of a pseudo expert that came in, Mm -hmm. you know, now, you know, could he have chosen to adopted our solution? And of course, you know, and, and of course you always think of the, well, you know, we could have done this position that way. You know, you always think of the what ifs and the, you know, but the point is, is that this is the way B2B sales works today and too Hmm. much marketing and too many sales motions are running against either the wrong, they're focused in the wrong areas, or they're just too focused on kind of this bigger picture, like let us come in and let us show you how great our product is. And let us, by the time you're invited to come in, good news is you're already on a short list, you know? So, so that's good news. But the point is, is that if you don't explain how you're relevant before you even talk to them. So you make this content available. You're publishing, you're on LinkedIn, you're easy to find. When they go to your website, they can get this information easily. If you're not doing that, well, you're you're not gonna get invited to present, (laughs) unfortunately. You know, and it's gonna feel like beating your head against the wall because as a young startup, it'll feel like we just, you know, we just need nobody knows who we are. If they just know who Mm. we are, they're going to, and it's like, no, that's actually that's not gonna solve your problem either. You know, just because they know who you are, just because they recognize a logo, you know, just because they've heard some good things about you, if they don't understand as part of this buying journey you know, how you're going to help them. It's, they're not going to call you. Well, it sounds like, and I think there's a couple, there's a lot of things that you said, right? That first of all, many of the jobs to be done are done without your involvement. Yes. Right. Yes. But it's important then that you are providing materials, Mm -hmm. uh, educational materials, Mm -hmm. thoughtful materials, not clickbait materials. Right. Exactly. Uh, That, that they will leverage and also the peers would leverage, right? There's a lot of like, Oh, you asked about this. I just read this here is yep. really interesting. Yep. Right? That's a really common piece. Yep. And then I think the other part of it that's super interesting that you put really, really well was the consensus required for when we're yeah. talking sort of larger implementations, yeah. technology, and the number of influencers yeah. that can say no. Yeah. And yeah. are you talking to them? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not just, are you talking to them in the buying process, like in the, in yeah. the very acute feeling of when they're in their room, Yeah. but does your material, does your website yeah. 
talk to them directly because otherwise they're, they're going to be having conversations about you that you again are not going to get to direct. That's right. So that's right. Making sure that all of those players can find themselves in you, right. Or can find the information that matters to them. That's right. I think is really important. That's right. Yeah. Just, it's just super, super critical. So I made the comment a few minutes ago that there's some good news in this shift uh, for, for a young company, for a startup, you know, let's just say a a more resource constrained, you know, you don't have a huge budget, you don't have a huge team and you can't do a lot. And the good news is, is that 15 years ago, you, you really did have to go to the big trade shows and you really were competing with these massive booths and these, you know, big fancy after parties and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're a young startup going, what, what do we do? You know, like we just don't have the money and here's, you know, the, the, the leader and, you know, we've taken over the whole West hall, you know, it's like the convention center or whatever. (laughs) Well, uh, I, you know, I'm not saying, you know, still you go to big trade shows and, and the big companies have their boosts, right? So in some levels, it could be like, well, Mark, that hasn't really changed. But what has changed is that the buyer who's walking around now is walking around with a very different mindset. And they also have really adjusted to the reality that just because you have a big booth or you don't have a big booth, that is not correlated to your product to the success of your company, et cetera. Now it is true. If you've gone five years in a row, you're starting to get known. And then all of a sudden one year, your booth is like tiny in the corner and you know, well, that can send certain signals, right? That that, that may or may not be true by the way, but you know, (laughs) so I'm not talking about these extremes, but so that's the good news is, and then as buyers just more and more are COVID flipped uh, all of our sort of travel schedules and our routines on on its head, right? And it's not that people don't want to meet face-to-face. There's just no substitute for human interaction, you know? And so I don't think, I am not of the belief, and I certainly do not see where buyers are like, oh no, I don't take meetings anymore. No, I mean, they're also not feeling like, oh, you have to travel to me. And, and right. you have, or, yep. or, you know, I have to travel to you. And so they're doing a lot more of the self-education. They're willing to get on a video call. They're willing, there's a lot more of just the sort of less, almost obvious, you know, ways that buyers are gathering information. And so, you know, our job is to keep our ear very close to the ground, understand the process, listen to the buyers, listen to the customer and always be thinking, you know, the companies I work with, I'm always advising them, always be asking yourself when you hear something, not just, oh, that's interesting. Write it down, go, hmm, what, what piece of content could I create that the next time they're looking for that information or the next time they're curious about, or the next time they're wondering about, they could discover that. And then they'd Mm. go, oh, wow. And who's this company? You know, because if this buyer fits enough of a profile in a market segment, then there's other buyers too, right? There's other companies looking for the same information. And so people sometimes say, yeah, Mark, I hear you about the fluffy content, but we don't like know what to produce. Like it's really simple. Go listen to your customer and then just Mm -hmm. listen and then say, huh, that's interesting. They were asking a lot around net zero you know, 2030 initiatives and this and that, and how we might be able to help them. Gee, we should go in. We have great data around that. 
Let's go write not about our product exclusively and Net Zero 2030, but let's write a whole series of articles about what Net Zero 2030 means in that industry and what some of the challenges are and some of the approaches that people think are, are you know, are going to work that won't, but others they're not considering, you know, let's go and let's educate the market. And I think, again, to your point, it does democratize the opportunities a little bit for smaller organizations. But mm-hmm. I also think it's techniques that we need to make sure in larger organizations yes. are still leveraged and not yeah. lost. Yeah. Right. That we're, that it's not swept away in, yeah. in the dollar spend of our digital yeah. ads. And, you yeah. know, now we have banners. We don't have to worry yeah. about it. Yeah. And I think it, it unfortunately sometimes happens. Right. There's a switch from we did this because we were grassroots to yeah. now we won't yeah. do this because, you know. We don't because we have a budget. <laughs> we can just <laughs> right? we can just spend, you know, five million dollars on Google this year, you know. And right. And like, that's gonna cover it. And yeah. it's it's an, an yeah. unfortunate piece. And yeah. again, I think for some, the idea of content is, you know, oh, I can no longer just write blogs and I'll get a million viewers anymore because yeah. there's so much content out there. Yeah. Yeah. That is Con- true if you're yeah. writing not about yeah. meteor, deeper topics, if you're that's always right. stopping at the 250 yeah. word level. Yeah right? Yeah. Then you're not providing that same level of guidance. Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, I mean, we can, we can have a, do a whole nother episode on what content is effective, you know, and how mm-hmm. to structure it. But I am very often editing, uh, you know, I'm in a position where I don't really have the time to write net new. And, you know, often there's, you know, there's other folks who do that much better than me, but I'm almost always for the companies I'm working deepest with the final editor and, and what that mm-hmm. really means is I'm often swiping, I'm removing 20% of the words. And, and in some cases, you know, it's, I even feel a little bad, like, you know, there's two awesome intro paragraphs that are really well-written that are, but I'm like, mm-hmm. Nobody cares. We need one. We don't, you do not need to remind them again that, you know, traffic is up and to the right. And this is the user trend. Like fundamentally, if they're reading it, they get it. And yet there's this feeling, and I know some of it's just natural writers like, oh, but you know, I can craft this story. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, like strike all that out. Take the first two paragraphs. We are literally going to start on, and here's what we did. <laughs> you know, yep. and yep. you know, here's the problem: one sentence, two sentences at most, and here's what we built. Now we're going to tell you about that. You know, yep. So yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yes. All right. We talked about a lot of different things we today. Did. If you were going to have our listeners do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, Mark, what would mm, that be? That's easy. Get in front of a customer. Literally get in front of a customer. Now, you know, that might mean probably getting on a call or something, but the point is listen to a customer and don't just listen tomorrow. Make sure you do it at least once a week you know, maybe more frequently, maybe, but depending on your sales process, your sales cycle, but listen to the customer. Number one, number two, you know about your business. There's no doubt about it. And depending on where you are and, you know, if you're the founder, of course, you certainly know about your business, but let's just talk to founders or more senior executives. So you know about your business, but do you know about your customer's business? Do you really know about your customer's business? And what I mean by that, um, it transcends, oh, what keeps them up at night? I hate that question. 
You know, <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Yeah, I was talking about this the other, actually at dinner last night with a, with, with a, a company, a CEO of a company that, and he comes out of, you know, working for some very, very large technology companies. And he said early in his career, he used to be so frustrated himself with other sellers on the team who, you know, would literally ask, you know, sitting across the table from a Fortune 50 CIO, CTO, what keeps you up at night? It's just like, oh, you know, it's such a, uh, yeah, it's, it's not an elegant question. But what I mean is, is understand what is driving your customer or your potential customer, your target customer's business? What is there some major inflection in the market? Is there a technology shift? Is there some user behavior that has changed that might be wind to their back? You know, in other words, it could be helping them. It also could be headwinds. You know, it could be really causing them. Understand that because if you don't, then you could, two things could happen. You could get, you know, we've heard the false positives, right? So let's say that there's some trend in the market, this wind to the back of your customer. And so guess what? Selling's become easier. Your phone's starting to ring. You're saying, we've reached it. Escape velocity, product market fit. We're here. Woo! We're rocking, baby. And then one day it stops, right? Why? Because guess what? There was a little blip and some market adjustments, some, you know, it could be, you know, you know, government regulation. I mean, who knows? There can be a lot of reasons. And then all of a sudden we're deer in the headlights. What happened? Well, you need yep. to understand that. And it can be the flip side too, where it's like, wow, it, it's, it was hard before. It's getting a lot harder. What is going on? Marketing must not be working. Well, mm. marketing may not be working, but it's not working because marketing isn't aware that the customer's facing a real systemic issue in their business. And what can we do to help them in that? Now, it's not to say that every time we have, you know, we have a solution, right? But you need to know that. But if you're not in your customer's business, you can't know this. And so yeah. I find way, 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 way too many sales processes and hence marketing activities, marketing motions that are run that are just pulling in, in the wrong direction, you know, they're hmm. good. The campaigns are well executed. There's great videos being produced. There's awesome white papers. There's all the content, but it's pulling in the wrong direction. It's like hmm. people have either moved on from that or that's no longer an issue. I, I'll give one example. And I mentioned a few minutes ago about like, like um, net zero by 2030. So pretty much every organization on the planet has taken a, um, you know, has made a commitment for this reduce carbon emissions to effectively zero based on offsets, et cetera, various ways that they can do that. I am not in any way suggesting that people are not sincere in their commitments. So in what I'm about to say, but uh, 18 months ago, even in RFPs, RFIs, there were people wanted to know from the vendors, you know, what is your commitment to that? What are you doing mm -hmm, as a company? Mm -hmm, it was, mm -hmm. you know, um, there, there were even in some cases, certain metrics that, that needed to be met while that has changed. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Great everyone's example. head nods when you talk about it. 100% of the buying decisions today are about cost. Yep. Cutting OPEX, CAPEX. Now, again, I am not, what I'm not saying is, oh, they're all insincere. I am just saying that the reality of how buyers are actually making decisions is that it's about economics. Mm -hmm. 
So how, what does that mean for a marketing team? What it means is, is that if, you know, and, and we all have different, there's different cultures, there's different. So some companies really are forward leaning. And I think it's great, you know, on the environmental side. And obviously, depending on what you do, that might be fully appropriate. But if all of your marketing material, everything is heavily biased towards the environmental payoff, hmm. Unfortunately, and it really saddens me to say, but that's out of sync with what the buyer actually is basing their decision on. Now, here's what's sad about that is that if you have an environmental benefit, odds are you can show an economic benefit as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if you're not telling that story, the buyer isn't going to connect the dots. They're not going to get it. And so you can get into a process and, you know, and get feedback that, yeah, we lost because they went with a cheaper solution. No, they didn't actually go with a cheaper solution. They just, you didn't connect the dots for them. Yeah. And yes, somebody did come in and show lower cost numbers, you know? So yeah, that's true, but you didn't connect the dots to show them what the real cost, you know, is of their CO2 emissions and, and whatever. So right. I, and I'm just trying the real to cost and the real value. Yeah. And yep. I'm just, and I'm, I'm not trying to make this, you know, an environmental, but it's in the space that I work in, it is an example of where 18 months ago, energy consumption, net zero was absolutely at the top of the consideration list. Now it's not in the same way. So, yeah. Great example. Lots of really great insights, Mark. If people would like to continue to learn from you Mm. and learn more about you, what is a good place for them to go? Yeah. So my website is growthstage.marketing. It's a dot marketing domain. So uh, I was, I was super lucky to jump on that when they first issued those. So go to growthstage.marketing dot marketing and a ton of, you know, I, I, I'm fairly prolific writer and I just, I, I like to write, you know, I like to capture my ideas. So there's, there's a lot of articles. I've got many books up there and, um, everything's ungated. I'm, I'm a huge believer in ungating. So it's all free. Thanks. It's all Excellent. there. Hopefully there's some interesting things to Read and learn. I think I will be go checking those out and I don't think I will be the only one. So I really appreciate Mark. This was, thank you for coming on, sharing your experience and your insights. It was really informative. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Absolutely. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. (laughs) 